Welcome to BIV Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. The BC Liberal leadership race is considered my guest's race to lose. Kevin Falcon was once a prominent cabinet minister, deputy premier, finance minister at one point under Gordon Campbell and Christy Clark. He's sought the leadership before losing to Clark in 2011 and left politics to return to industry in 2013. He's executive vice president of Anthem Capital, which is a real estate investment firm. His campaign was about the worst protected secret in recent months, but he launched officially this week in the effort this year to secure succession to Andrew Wilkinson as the leader of the opposition. Kevin Falcon joins me now. Good to see you. Great to be here, Kurt. Thank you. You're, you're probably a lot healthier than you're going to be at the end of this campaign. It's a long, <laughs> arduous one. Um, I want to start with uh, why try to come back now? Well, you know, it, I left frankly, for my family. Uh, at the time, I was finance minister and deputy premier. Uh, my youngest, or excuse me, my eldest was three years old. My wife was pregnant with our second daughter, Rose. And I just looked ahead and thought, you know what? Uh, I don't want to be that dad that's not going to be around uh, during the formative years of my children. So I thought, you know, I was young enough that I could go back into the private sector and secure a future for my kids. I never set out to be a professional politician. I felt that 12 years was, was uh, sufficient time. And uh, so, you know, that's why I stepped out of politics. But I'm coming back, ironically, for the same reason, for my kids and, and for really uh, families across the province, because I'm really concerned about the direction that the NDP government is moving this province. I What I see happening is a replay of their playbook from the 90s. And I know how this ends up and it does not end well. And it's a series of, uh, it's never one thing that just kills you as a government. It is a series of bad decisions that layered upon, you know, layer on layer on layer add up to a situation where suddenly we're the worst performing economy in the country. And I don't want to see that happen for my children or others. I want to get into uh, a lot of policy, but I should start with kind of the uh, more ephemeral part of this, which is that it, it, it's going to sound strange, but if you win, you actually don't want to lead the BC Liberals. You want to lead a party with another name. What, why, yeah. why, why, why change the name? Well, because I, I think, uh, you know, as part of a, an entire reboot of the party that I think is necessary for a whole number of reasons, I think a rebranding can be a really important part of that. And also mm-hmm. because I think, frankly, you know, people are less attached to political parties, frankly, nowadays and ideologies. People are more issue oriented, orientated. And I want to make sure that this is a very big tent party. It's why on the day of my announcement, I made it very, very clear that this is going to be a party that embraces diversity. Um, and I'm going to lead that effort. That means I want I want candidates and I want members from diverse backgrounds, whether it's their ethnicity, their sexual orientation, uh, whether it's their socioeconomic status. Uh, if they share my principles and values of a private sector-driven economy is the best way to generate revenues to fund first-class health, uh, health and public services, then this is the party for you. And it's not about tolerating groups. It's about embracing them. And it's a very, very important distinction. And so um, as part of that reboot, I think a new name is something we ought to consider because I've heard it, frankly, from hundreds of members that I've been speaking to across the province. And I think that that can help us as we move forward by saying everything is new. Our attitude is new. The approach we're taking is new. Our candidates, members, et cetera, are new. And the name is new. Yeah. But but I got to ask you, like, you, you talk about diversity and inclusion and, and trying to have the big tent. How does, how does posing with Maxime Bernier help that? 
Well, look, I, first of all, that's back in 2016. Max was running for the leadership of a mainstream political party, the Federal Conservative Party. He actually came second in that race, I'd remind people. Now, he's since left that party and started People's Party and, and come forward with positions, most of which I don't support. But it's important to understand, I, I have not spoken to Max since the day he left the Conservative Party. He was dead to me ever since he walked out of the Conservative Party because I just okay. disagreed with that whole approach. But the other thing I would say, the NDP are trying to play this up and associate everything that Max has done since then. Yeah, no, you, you, you're, you're going to have to, uh, you're going to have to somehow find a way to to explain this because it is. Oh yeah, no, no, it, this, this is wow. easy. It's easy. I, actually, what I say is, I point out that the the uh, former leader of the NDP in New Brunswick uh, in 2016, Dominic Cardi, also supported Max Bernie, and I'm pretty sure he's probably. Uh, not someone the NDP are going to put in the front window, but he did too, probably for the same reasons I did. He was at good economic policies and he was reaching out to the LGBTQ community, which I felt was very, very important for the Conservative Party. Uh, since he's left, uh, I imagine the leader of the NDP, the former leader of the NDP doesn't support him anymore, neither do I. Yeah. How much of a makeover beyond the name is required of this party, Kevin? Uh First of all, it, it's got to have a makeover in terms of uh, principles and ideas. In other words, we've got to be a party that believes in, in something and stands for something. I, I think the party, frankly, lost its way. And, and that, you know, goes back almost since I left the party. Um, and, and that can happen sometimes. It sets in slowly. You know, the, the, the party starts being political all the time. It starts thinking of everything through the lens of politics. And I think that's a real, that's a problem. I think we have to think in terms of policies. What are the right policies for British Columbia? And let's go put those up in the front window and let's fight for them. And it's not always going to be easy. You're going to get lots of pushback. There's lots of people going to say how wrong you are to do it, et cetera. But I'm used to that. In public life, uh, I fought all the time to get big, big projects done, whether it's the Canada Line, whether it's the Sea to Sky Highway, Portman Bridge, didn't matter. There's always going to be opposition. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to look back and say, we got things done. And what I see happening with this government right now is they're good about talking about stuff, but they don't get anything done. And they've been there for four years, and I can't think of anything they've done that, that, that they've actually accomplished, um, they, except canceling an important bridge project at the Massey Tunnel. You're, you know, you are, of course, um, more aligned with the conservative wing of this party and with federal conservatives. And um, and you know, if, if you change the name, you kind of stripped out uh, the. Uh, one of the attractive principles for those who are on the liberal side of this party and who might be associated with the liberals federally. What, what do you feel you have to do in order to make this a welcome place for federal liberals? Well, first of all, you know, I, it's not about stripping out federal liberals. Um, you know, the, the, the provincial liberals are not in any way associated with federal liberals. It's the, they never have been, but but they do have the same name. Now that does create confusion. It creates voter confusion, frankly, uh, that I think creates challenges for us as a party because what happens is you get a, a, a BC Conservative Party, which is in no way affiliated with the Federal Conservative Party, and you get our voters voting for the BC Conservatives because they're thinking, oh yes, I'm a Federal Conservative, thus I must vote for the BC Conservative. And, and I can't vote for the Liberals because, you know, that's part of the party I don't support federally. So it does create some confusion around the edges. Now, people may say, oh, well, that's a small group of people, but that can be the, the deciding balance in an election campaign. So we have to be aware of that. But look, I'm not in any way uh, uh, trying to say federal Liberals don't have a home here. In fact, I would argue that I'm going to be more attractive to a lot of those progressive voters. 
for the very reasons that we were just recently discussing. The fact that I'm going to reach out and make sure that this is a party that reflects our communities. The fact that I'm going to be pushing really important policies that I think are economic policies, but that often appeal to progressive voters, like $10 a day daycare, for example. Um, something that I've been supporting for six years and tried to get the, uh, the BC Liberals to adopt uh, you know, back when I was in the private sector. Because I believe that those are the kind of policies that allow working men and women to be able to go back into the workforce, grow our GDP, and more than pay for the cost of the programs, as they've discovered in Quebec. So to me, these are important investments that help the economy, help the workforce, uh, and, uh, and some consider progressive, as, as I do. Can you, uh, let's reflect a bit on the two most recent elections. First, 2017. Um, how did the Liberals let the Greens slip into the hands of the NDP? Oh, you know, you've raised a question that, that causes me a huge amount of pain. Because the BC Liberals were the leaders when it came to the climate file and the Green Agenda. You know, Gordon Campbell, when we introduced the Revenue Neutral Carbon Tax uh, back in 2008, we were the first government in North America to bring in a revenue neutral carbon tax. The NDP opposed us on the carbon tax. They fought an election against us in 2009. Oh yeah, no, I on remember the that. Tax. You remember that, Kurt? So, mm -hmm. so the fact the fact that we've allowed that leadership to slip from our grasp and to have the NDP pretending to be the party of green, are you kidding me? And I don't blame some liberals for moving over to the Green Party because I think they, they saw a, a, a BC Liberal Party that was no longer reflecting their values. I can tell you, under a Kevin Falcon leadership, we are going to be leaders on the environmental file again, because I believe in it for my kids, for other kids across the province, and for our grandkids. Those of us, those I don't have grandkids, but one day I hope to. But you know, for those of us that have grandkids, um, it's important that we show leadership. But here's the important thing: when I say leadership, I'm talking about leadership that gets results not platitudes, not virtue signaling, not the kind of stuff that the NDP and frankly, the Greens talk about. I'm talking about getting things done that actually get us to results. And when you've got a government like the NDP that like to brag that they took tolls off the Portman Bridge, sure, they took tolls off the Portman Bridge, but guess what? That is one of the most anti-environmental moves you can actually do. That's why traffic grew 30% after they took off tolls. And that's why people are now sitting in traffic a lot more than they were prior to the tolls being in place. Uh, you know, so they can't have it both ways, though they try to. I'm going to be genuine in uh, in my environmental credentials. So it sounds like you put tolls back on. Would you instill mobility pricing in the province? Well, I can't I can't put tolls back on because that decision's uh, already been made. But I'm just pointing out that the 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 fallacy of their positions pretending they they are somehow pro environment. But I'll also say this because you raised it. Uh, you you talk about uh, road tolls. That's where the NDP are going to go next. So all those that are enjoying this brief moment of respite from having the tolls temporarily removed from the Portman Bridge, get ready, because they're actually going to toll existing infrastructure that's been paid for decades ago. See how much the public likes that. Yeah, let's talk about 2020. Um, it, what state did that leave the party in, do you think? Well, I think it left the party in a very weakened state because we lost a lot of our, uh, you know, what I would call our green supporters that were frustrated with us. Uh, they, they moved over to the to the Green Party. Uh, we lost a lot of the, you know, the soft NDP or lapsed NDP support that, that we often can get when we talk about jobs in the economy and, and, and talk about how, you know, BC and, you know, with the proper leadership can, can make sure that we're still thinking big in terms of infrastructure and getting things done. 
And I think mm-hmm. we lost voters on the right that sat out the election and decided that, you know, this party didn't stand for much anymore that attracted them. So I think that combination of those three things uh, left us in a devastating position where, you know, the NDP could take advantage of us. But I'll, I'll, I'll also say this, because I think it's really worth pointing out, Kurt. You know, this was a very unique election that happened in 2020. We were in the middle of a global pandemic. And the BC Liberals and the Green Party both did the right thing and said, you know what, in a pandemic, we're gonna we're not gonna be the usual opposition. We're not gonna attack the government. We're gonna work together cooperatively for the benefit of the, the broader public interest. And what was the NDP response to that? They said, we are gonna capitalize on the fact that we have no opposition and that we're getting generally good media as most governments do in the middle of a pandemic, a global pandemic, where the public tends to rally behind governments. And they said, we're gonna call an election now and take advantage of that. In spite of the fact that the BC Liberal government brought in fixed election dates for that very purpose, so that governments couldn't cynically do these kind of things and call elections when it was convenient for them. Surely that didn't. That, surely that didn't surprise you, though. It didn't surprise me because I would expect that from the NDP, but you wouldn't get it from the the BC Liberals. That's why we brought in fixed election dates, Kurt. Because so you'd stay, it you'd takes stay with election date. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And we would have stayed and stuck with it like we did for multiple elections, but the NDP, it just shows you how cynical they can be. And and so granted, they won the election, they took advantage of, the, of that cynical opportunity and they did it. But here's the thing, during the time that they're out campaigning and not paying attention to what's going on at the storefront, you know, cases were rising and they put a lot of British Columbian lives at risk. And I think that, uh, you know, one day they'll be held to account for that. Maybe not today, but yeah. one day we'll look back. The party has, uh, has in, in the way it, it has elected MLAs in the last election, uh, really not quite become a party outside of the cities, but let's face it, the, the city representation is not exactly what it is there. Um, do you have a priority uh, or two around uh, what has to happen in order for this party to reattract people in the cities? Sure, I absolutely do. You know, uh, I retired and uh, announced my retirement, as you know, in 2012 and was into the private sector in 2013. And, you know, I could see what was happening in terms of housing affordability, the run up in prices, the, the tremendous uh, uh, challenge that, that young families and first time buyers were having getting into the marketplace. And I talked to my former colleagues, I was begging them to, to, to be ambitious on this and to, to deal with it aggressively and, and, and ambitiously. And it just wasn't able to, to pierce through their, their you know, message of, you know, it's the economy, the economy. People knew we were good at the economy. They gave us credit for that, but they were already saying, yeah, okay, I get it. You, you, you're good at balancing budgets and all that, AAA credit ratings, but, but we're concerned about affordability. We're concerned about daycare and the cost of daycare and these kind of you know, day-to-day issues. And I think that uh, our party uh, just, we vacated the ground. And the NDP, of course, leapt in and said, you know, oh, we'll fix all these problems. And they got elected in part on those, on those commitments. Now, we all know that they're hopeless at doing anything uh, that involves confidence. So, you know, they promised to build 114,000 affordable homes. I mean, give me a, give me a break. The, we we will be long dead and buried. I'm sorry to say, Kirk, before they ever get close to fulfilling that 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 promise. But they make these wild ass promises, and they, there's no chance that they'll they'll succeed in getting there. Um, yeah. They talked about you know bringing in all these new taxes because that was going to somehow bring about affordability. So they brought in the misnamed speculation tax, which has nothing to do with speculation. They brought in school taxes. They brought in you know, they increased the foreign buyers tax. Then they ginned up a story that, you know, really the real estate market was going up because it's all Chinese 
uh, you know, buyers out of, uh, you know, out of mainland China that are driving up prices, which, by the way, created a lot of racism against the Chinese community that was very, very unfortunate. I hold David, David Eby to account for that, by the way. Um, so they did all this. But, you know, what happened? What was the result of all that, all, all those taxes that they brought in? 23 at last count, not just on real estate, but everywhere else. Well, the result is prices are way higher way higher for first-time buyers. The only housing that got cheaper, by the way, was housing that was $4 million and over. So the NDP managed this extraordinary feat of making houses cheaper for millionaires and making them more expensive for people trying to get into the marketplace. But that's because they don't understand what they're doing. They don't understand economics. They don't understand business. They don't understand the fundamental law of supply and demand. What would Kevin Falcon do differently? Well, I actually understand the housing industry. I think that's kind of helpful. One of the things I would do is flood the zone. And when I say flood the zone, that means I would require municipalities that they would have to at minimum live up to the commitments they already made in the livable region strategic plan of getting the housing they've committed to done. And they would be penalized for not getting it done and they they would be incentivized to get it done. And I would- It sounds like like you're talking there to the city of Vancouver. I'm talking to the city of Vancouver and I'm talking to a lot of the other municipalities that are doing a horrific job of, of allowing supply to get into the marketplace. They are choking supply. The city of Vancouver, it can take you as long as it took us to fight a world war to get a straightforward tower built in the city of Vancouver. It's unacceptable. These are all costs that are added to the final cost of the units. 25% of the cost of a typical uh, condominium unit now is government costs, taxes, permit fees, CACs. You know, it, they just layer on costs and bureaucracy and delay. And I could tell you, Kevin Falcon is going to cut through that with a chainsaw and I'm going to get supply into the market. And everyone's going to bitch and complain about it and say how terrible this is. But I'll tell you, there'll be a lot more affordable housing. There'll be a lot more market rental housing. There'll be a lot more condos, townhomes and supply. That's how you're going to get lower housing costs for newly uh, uh, folks trying to get into the industry. By the way, I'm I'm noticing you're prepared to use some salty language here. Like that's, you know, you're, you, you, you know, look, Use wild ass, you know, like, like, like yeah. I, I want to see how far you go here during the campaign. Um, yeah, yeah. Look, look, uh, just so you know, I, I, Kevin Volk has always been rather known for, for candor. But, you know, I, I think, frankly, I, I've always been like that. And I've always tried to be a straight up person and, and talk the way I feel. And sometimes I do use salty language. Apologies to those that are offended by salty yeah. language. But I, I, I get frustrated. We can, I think we can handle those. Yeah, we're okay. Uh, we're, <laughs> We've come a long way. Um, okay. I've got uh, only a few minutes left with you. And I've got to, I want to get through sure. three things. Yeah. All right. So you dealt with them a lot. Uh, but what are what do you think are John Horgan's weaknesses? Uh, I think his greatest weakness. Uh, look, I, I should say this. I, I like John. I think John's a, a pretty good guy. I think all the NDP are, frankly. And I think they mean well. It's just that they're not they don't have the competence and the background and the experience to manage and and run large scale organizations like the provincial government. And so my criticism is how they execute, but it's not a criticism of them personally. It's just that they don't have that experience and background to understand what they're doing. And you see that playing out all over the place, whether it's the the site C disaster with the, the, the budget more than doubling, whether it's the Massey tunnel where they canceled a project that they had a tender in place that was $600 million less than the, the, the bid upset price that could be, built and open today if they had moved that project forward. And, you know, so it's it's just this lack of, of basic understanding of how to do big things. And you see that on $10 a day daycare. I guarantee you this, 
first of all, they futzed around with that. They've done a couple of test sites that have been funded by the federal government. They've advanced that almost nowhere down the field. Now the federal government's come to the plate and said, look, we're actually prepared to fund a big chunk of this. But my problem with the John Horgan approach is it's going to be big government, big union, government run. So, so you've told me what John Horgan's weaknesses are, Kevin. What are your weaknesses? Look, I think my weaknesses are sometimes I am too candid and, uh, you know, sometimes I say what I think and that creates political controversies. Um, and I'll probably continue to do that. But look, look, I'm at a stage in my life now where I've had some success in, success in private life. Uh, you know, I've, I've got uh, two wonderful little girls that are the most important thing in my world. And I'm less concerned about what people think about me, to be honest with you. Uh, and I'm more concerned about doing what's right, not what's easy. I'm not running for politics because this is the easy decision. It's actually a stupid decision on so many, so many levels, right? Financially, oh, yeah. for my family and all the rest of it. But I'm doing it because I believe so strongly in the, in the, the prospects and the future of British Columbia. This is a great province. We've had great leadership in the past. W.A.C. Bennett, Bill Bennett, Gordon Campbell. I would even say Dave Barrett did a few things that were big. I may not agree with, but he did some big things. And I, I admire that. I admire leaders that aren't afraid to do big things. Um, but this crowd that we've currently got in Victoria, that these aren't big thinkers. They're professional politicians. And uh, Kevin Falcon led government. You'll always know where we stand. You'll always know where Kevin stands. He will be candid. He will be honest. He'll be forthright. And he will make mistakes, but I will have the humility of acknowledging where I make mistakes and fix it and move on. And that's part of the thing, Kirk, that has always frustrated me about people in government. Why does government always have to pretend they do everything right? We don't. We make mistakes and we just have to acknowledge when we make mistakes, fix them and move on. And I tried to do that while I was a cabinet minister. I was the first, uh, you'll recall actually back in my day um, in 2012, shortly after I took over uh, finance, I brought ICBC under my control, did a performance audit of ICBC. It came back. It was devastating, terrible. I fired the president. We removed a whole bunch of vice presidents, and we started the process to get nice ICBC rights sized. And a lot of the media were surprised that I would do that. They said, well, Kevin, it's your government that's created this situation, and now you're saying you're going to fix it? And I said to them at the time, and I would say it today, the day we start being a government, that is afraid to lift up the rocks and look under and find out what's wrong in, in our own administration is the day we don't deserve to be in government. And I will always try to be somebody that tries to constantly improve and also be someone that tries to acknowledge when we have shortcomings. Okay, well, if, if I'm still around and you and you become premier, I'm going to come after you for the freedom of information law, but we'll, we'll talk about that oh. some other time. Last, last, yeah. no, no, last thing, last thing, because I'm cognizant of your time. I want to ask, what has nearly eight years outside of politics now, taught you about yourself? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what's really taught me about myself is, is raising two girls. And I think that has changed my perspective on, on a lot of things, On if I'm being totally honest, which I am. Um, and I think that's a good thing. It hasn't changed my values, uh, my principles, but it has changed my perspective. So the environment, biodiversity, the outdoors, uh, healthy living, that, that becomes something that's very important to me. Um, equality of opportunity. You know, I think of kids in, in Wally, and they don't have the same equality of opportunity as kids in the west side of Vancouver. I think that's where government can play a role. I want to ensure that kids, regardless of background, have the best opportunity to succeed in British Columbia. I think that's what's really changed about me. People probably wouldn't think of me that way, um, but that's one. The other is mental health and addictions, um, something that I find hard to talk about because it's affected 
people very, very close to me. Uh, most recently, a, 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 a friend who, um, uh, a single mom who lost her life on an opioid overdose uh, and mm. now has a young daughter left behind. Um, we have to do a better job in mental health and addictions. And I would say the failures rest at the doorstep of BC Liberals while we were in government. They certainly rested the doorsteps of the NDP while they are in government, and they rest on the doorsteps of the social credit government, I would argue, even when they were in government. Because there's a lot we've learned over the years, but the problem is government continues to do the same things and take the same approach uh, and continues to get worse results. It is remarkable to me that government just keeps marching on. And I've tried, I wrote an op-ed piece uh, earlier this year to say, look, all of us can share in the fact that we haven't done a great job on this, but for God's sakes, let's change direction and do things differently now. We can see the social disorder in our streets all across the province. In Vancouver, it's particularly bad. And the NDP approach is just to continue to overpay for hotels, which is a running joke in the real estate industry, and then stuff people into the hotels without proper supports. And they're creating social disorder throughout the, the streets of Vancouver. And uh, it's a failed approach, but they won't acknowledge it. And they'll just continue doing the same old, same old, expecting different results. And that's unfortunate. So you say your value system hasn't changed uh, and all that, but um, it sounds to me like you would be a very different leader in 2022 than you would have been in 2011, right? I think that's fair. I think yeah. that's fair. Yeah. And how, in fact, how, I, 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 I'll tell you this. Sorry, I was going to say, Kirk, if I could, I, I think losing in, in, in uh, that last leadership race was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Uh, I've always believed that things happen for a reason. I think Christy was probably the right leader at that time. I probably wouldn't have won that election. I think Christy, uh, she did win that election. Uh, yeah, she was she a fresher face. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, you know, and now I've been out of politics for almost a decade. And, uh, you know, uh, not everything went right since I left politics. There was issues around money laundering. There was issues around housing affordability and et cetera. And I just think we as a party have to acknowledge that where we had shortcomings, we, we should acknowledge that and say, look, if we didn't do a very good job on something, we acknowledge it, we apologize for it, and we, we promise to do better. That's what I think the public wants to hear from the PC Liberal. A little bit of humility would be nice. And, uh, and then uh, the ability to move forward and, and try and do things better. And uh, that's certainly what we'll try and do under a BC led, uh, sorry, a BC Liberal led by Kevin Falcon. Yeah, well, it'll be BC Liberal for a while, then yes. presumably you want to do that. Um, uh, last thing, uh, uh, just some logistics stuff here. Uh, clearly, if you win, you want to get into the legislature right away. Would you ask uh, Andrew Wilkinson to step aside and quote Chenna? To be honest, I haven't even thought that far ahead because uh, I'm so focused on just winning the leadership. Uh, once I win the leadership, then I'll figure out you know, how I get myself uh, into the legislature. You know, but, you know, look, and, and, and we'll figure out a way, uh, you know, I represented Cloverdale for three terms. I used to win by some of the largest margins in the province. I think I was like third or fourth in terms of the uh, margin of victory. Um, and that's now an NDP seat. That really bothers me. Uh, we're going to win that seat back. We're going to win all the seats we lost in the Langleys and the Abbotsfords and Chilliwack. Uh, and we're going to win seats in Vancouver again. I am absolutely committed. That's why I think we need a, a leader from the lower mainland, frankly, because we've got to have yeah. somebody that understands all the issues, understands the ethnic communities, understands what it's going to take to win. You don't and, want to wait uh, until 2024 to get into the legislature, do you? No, 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 definitely not. No, I'm not. Yeah. Look, uh, I, I can tell you the NDP are, will probably try and delay trying to get let me into the legislature, I'm sure. John Horgan will hold off calling a by-election as long as he can, but uh, I'm pretty sure I'll be able to find a seat. I'll get my way in there. Don't you worry, John Horgan, I'm coming for you and I'm coming for all the rest of you guys.
All right, Kevin, it's it's been fun. Uh, appreciate the <laughs> language. It's always good, you know, get real on this stuff. Uh, we'll talk to you again before this is all said and done. Thanks a lot for your time today. I really enjoy that. Thanks, Kurt. Appreciate all the work you're doing. And there will be a, a, a you. I want it. I want it to be on the record. FOI or Kevin Falcon, the more the merrier, because I actually think government accountability is important, and it drives me nuts that government spends all the time trying to hide information. All right. On the uh, I may play that back to you one day. Um, do, do. All right. Fair enough. All right. Kevin Falcon. Uh, You've been watching BIB Today. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. We'll see you again.